Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Joel Cowley, CEO at the Calgary Stampede. How are you doing, Joel? I'm doing great. I almost wanted to throw a howdy or a yeehaw in there, but I thought that might be a bit cheesy. Uh, Yahoo. So I'll, 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 it's I'll, Yahoo. I'll, it's Yahoo. Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> Yahoo, 100%. Joel, thanks so much for coming on the show. You, you know, the Stampede needs no one introduction, but maybe you do. And I was excited to hear that we had a new CEO in town <laughs> that was leading the charge for what is obviously a huge and this epic part of our culture. I'm not a Calgarian, as many of us are, and I got indoctrinated really, really quickly that first year. And I was like, what? I, I grew up in a small town that had a small town fair, and it was exactly that. And then small town fair on steroids was my first exposure back in 2000 to the Calgary Stampede. So talk to us a little bit. You've been on the job, what, 10 months now? Just coming up, uh, not even a year? Nine and a half months, so. So uh, still referred months, to okay. as the new guy around here. Um, you're, I think you're, I get you're the new, new guy, guy card until September one, which is is that how it goes for sure? I think so. Yeah, well, I, that's that's, that's what fair. I'm saying anyway, but uh, <laughs> yeah, really excited to be here. And uh, I I came here after uh, serving 15 years at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Seven years of that as the the president and CEO. So it's it's really very much a sister organization. Uh, okay, with a, with a similar offering. Um, Primary difference being it's longer. Uh, it's 23 days long versus 10 days long. And the entertainment there is largely indoors inside a stadium. But other than that, a lot of it would uh, would appear familiar to those who know the Stampede with regard to the, the carnival, the midway, the shopping opportunities, the entertainment offering throughout the grounds, um, you know, horse show, livestock shows. So it's it's very much a similar offering, uh, just a little bit longer in duration, and uh, with the indoor activities more so than the outdoor. Okay, I have. I was talking to Teresa Howland on your on your team, who I know and who kind of got got me into chatting with you through just the one degree of separation, the Calgary way. She put it in context for me that you know, in comparison, where Calgary, the Calgary Stampede has three thousand volunteers, that event has upwards of thirty thousand volunteers, which yes. gave me the context of just the grandiosity of that event. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a different business model. The Calgary Stampede controls and operates uh, Stampede Park year round. 
And so when you do that, you need some uh, some part-time employees to come in and and uh, you know work parking booths and and things of okay. that nature. Whereas at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, they operate NRG Park where it's held for 40 days of the year. The rest of the year, they're just tenants there, and the office is located there. So for that really condensed period of time, you can mobilize thousands of volunteers to come in and perform duties that would otherwise be performed by paid staff. Uh, so uh, you know, selling tickets, scanning tickets, driving golf carts, uh, things of that nature that at Calgary, we use people year-round in the form of, uh, of part-time labor, and so you want to use them during the stampede as well. So it's just a little bit different uh, business model. The volunteer structure is similar as far as committees. At Houston, they have like 108 committees. Uh, here at Stampede, we have 28 committees, and there it's 35,000 volunteers. Here it's about 2,500 volunteers. Okay. But because the Stampede operates the grounds year-round, and we very much uh, enjoy offering first jobs to a lot of youth, uh, who can come here and work. Um, we don't utilize volunteers the same way here at Calgary that they do in Houston. I appreciate the breakdown. And maybe that leads into my question. Certainly, there's been no shortage of, I think, um, news headlines talking about the financial challenges the Stampede has had over the last couple of years <laughs> as COVID, as so many businesses, when a bigger hand was at play and not allowing you guys to host the events that, you, that and, and run the business model as you run. But a few things that I didn't really understand, which is that Stampede is a non-for-profit, that yes, you, are, you own and operate all of your lands, which again, just because you didn't host an event doesn't mean that those costs don't 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 stay in place. So maybe just for the sake of the audience, and this is a business, you know, and, and this being such a large business, but I think a lot of people, including myself, don't necessarily understand how the model functions and the pressure that that put on the organization over the past couple of years. Absolutely. And, and one of the things for me coming from the States uh, to grow accustomed to immediately was that not-for-profits in Canada are not allowed to carry a financial reserve. So having said that, there was no rainy day fund uh, that would help with a situation like a pandemic. And, and in the states, yeah, that's that's very real. And I think everybody, anyone I know, had a hard time wrapping their head around. They're like, yeah. "Well, how could the how could the Stampede find themselves in this position? Don't they do great every year?" But that that was yeah. a shot. That was and a piece so of news to me that put me back. We very much rely upon that annual ten day event to generate most of our revenue for the year. And so, not having it in twenty twenty. Uh, resulted in a $26 million loss to the organization. Uh, just doing a scaled back uh, event with safety in mind in 2021 resulted in an $8.3 million loss to the organization. And so uh, not having a reserve means that uh, we're largely relying upon debt now to keep our operations going. We are hopeful and we believe we're going to have a great stampede in 2022, but it's going to take uh, multiple years to recover from the pandemic. Speaking of the financial side a bit, and I don't want to get too into uh, looking behind the curtain, but for an organization, obviously you've got the brand equity, you've got this, like we'll talk about it in a minute, just such a role and you play with you. You travel the world. We know Banff and you run into people like, oh, Stampede, yes, I know about Calgary because of that. And you run into that all the time. Being able to backstop that and find the funding to support that, was that a challenge? Was that, I'm, I, I, of course, I feel silly to ask that way, but of course it was a challenge, but you're the Calgary Stampede. Were, were there some open doors and some people ready to help when those situations really oh, hit home? Absolutely. And, and BMO is not only our sponsor, it's been our banker for 
for over 100 mm. years, and so they were <laughs> oh, wow. very helpful okay. <laughs> in, uh, in you know, waiving some covenants and, and working with our dad, as was the city of Calgary. And these, uh, these government programs that really assisted uh, not-for-profits and those in the mm. hospitality industry, uh, we were very fortunate, as were a lot of not-for-profits and hospitality-oriented businesses, to uh, participate in those, and, and that was very helpful. But uh, from this point forward, uh, we're largely relying upon our typical business model that we would have had before 2019, and with a good stampede in 2022, and we can project uh, future stampedes, and then we look at the BMO Center expansion opening up mm-hmm. in uh, 2024. We have some good things to work look forward to, but uh, we're not out of the woods yet. I appreciate that. I think we're all looking forward to <clears throat> 12, 10 days of sunny, beautiful weather and <laughs> tourists and everybody coming, coming into play. From this from the perspective, maybe percentages, and now, now I'm getting into the weeds of it. I'm curious. You guys operate year-round, and you have facilities on the Stampede grounds that draw events. I would assume still the bulk of it, or is it 80%, 90%? Is there a percentage in terms of what that the 10-day actual event contributes from a revenue perspective to what balances out from the year-round operations? Yeah, it's typically over 60% generated over 60%, in those, yeah. those 10 days. And we are fortunate to have the BMO Center and other facilities here that we can utilize for events that come into Calgary or that are hosted here locally. But those were impacted as well because of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, we. <laughs> to, to put it very simply, we're a, we are an organization that relies upon people coming together, whether it's during the 10 days or it's coming here for a meeting or a convention, and people could not come together during that time period. And so it, it definitely impacted our year-round business as well. Well, I like what you said, and it's good to put it into context. You're in the hospitality business, and we all know how hard that industry was hit. But it's so easy to look at Stampede as this anomaly or as this thing, but fundamentally, you still played under the same pressures that anyone in the hospitality space had to deal with, which is, again, hopefully, I don't even want to work the word COVID into the conversation, but it's been such a huge factor. (laughs) History, I was doing some research, doing some, like, I'm a professional creeper the day of this podcast when I started leaning in. 1886, 1912, 1923. What's the when is like? What's the official? When would you draw the line in the sand and said the stampede actually started? I found a bunch of dates that all that all just scaled one into the other. But where where do you guys actually draw your start date in the sand? Yeah, to your point, there are kind of multiple uh, okay. start dates. We we kind of have two parents, uh, if you will. Okay. Uh, one is the Calgary Industrial Exhibition, and that's your 1886 that you came up with. Uh, that organization was actually founded in 1884 and had their first exhibition in 1886. And industry at that time was the equivalent of agriculture. So our roots okay. are in agriculture. Uh, 1912, that the, the Industrial Exhibition was running all that time, but 1912 was the first Calgary Stampede. And uh, Guy Wiedek, uh, a fellow American, uh, yes, had the yeah, idea for that. Yep. Uh, he had he's, visited he's, Calgary. He has a cool story if you want to go down the rabbit hole on him. He's an interesting yeah, character. He had, uh, he had visited Calgary and, and uh, with kind of a traveling Western show and uh, thought it would be a good place to, to have an event. And he approached uh, four local businessmen and ranchers about uh, putting on this fantastic Wild West uh, exhibition and celebration. Uh, they're known as the Big Four, of course. And it really wasn't put forth as an ongoing concern at that time. It was really put forth in their minds, let's, let's celebrate Western heritage and the Western lifestyle one last time before it disappears. And they oh, had the, the stampede in 1912. 
Uh, and then it wasn't until 1919 that the next stampede came around. It was the end of World War I and, of course, known as the Victory Stampede. And shortly after that, the Calgary Industrial Exhibition was not doing that well uh, from a financial standpoint, and the two organizations merged. And then 1923 mm. was the Calgary Exhibition and Stampede, and that was the first uh, chuck wagon racing was invented in 1923 uh, with that event. And so those are kind of our parents. Uh, we, we come from the industrial exhibition, but also the stampede. And then when the two merged in 1923, uh, we've hosted the event in that manner uh, ever since going forth, with, of course, the exception of the, the 2020 cancellation. Was that the only time that there was missed yeah. since 2023? Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> that's yeah and there's a lot of those stories floating around so hey you said something in there that I, I i guess no reason not to think that that chuck wagon racing was actually invented here i think i now that you say that that sounds familiar but i just would have assumed that would have again i'll be blunt came up from the states actually yeah no it, it was invented here and it was another thought by guy Weedick to invade uh really involve local ranches and bring their chuck wagons in and and have a race so it was invented here in 1923 so 2023 we'll have the 100th anniversary of chuck wagon racing that's fantastic. Well, he was a he was a promoter and knew how to put on a Absolutely. show. That's certainly when you read about his about his history. How much looking back, and you know, and I know you're new in the seat, but how much of a role has you know it been for Calgary as a draw, like for local and let's celebrate heritage on a local? And I grew up in a I grew up in a small town, and we had the Ormstown Fair had been going for. Actually, my dad lives in Williamstown in Ontario, and I think they have the longest running small town fair in Canada, 150 some years. But it very much celebrates the area and it brings people in. But the Calgary Stampede seems like it's always existed on this international stage of this reason to go to Calgary. And of course, I've talked with uh, some people over at Travel Alberta and some of the work that they're doing to really draw attention to this amazing province and more specifically, you know, Calgary as, as, a, as a city. Looking back in the history, has it always been a draw like that or has that been more of a new phenomenon kind of from your perspective? No, it, it has been a draw for quite some time. Uh, out here in the hallway, outside of my office, we have posters dating back to the first stampede. And uh, you can look through those and see the offering that was put forth. And in the early posters, they were advertising the Rocky Mountains, uh, you know, visit nice. Banff. Okay. And so uh, they knew early on that uh, there was a draw <laughs> to this area. And uh, they were pulling Americans in uh, for that event. And, and it certainly is uh, a global event. Uh, it's it's known around the world and it's definitely intertwined with Calgary. Uh, it's one of the things that Calgary is truly known for. And one of the fantastic things here is the way that the local community embraces the stampede. Uh, I tell people at Houston, you know, a metro area of over 6 million people, it is possible during the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo to fly into Houston and have a meeting downtown and not even know that the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo is occurring. <laughs> There is no way in the world you can come to Calgary, <laughs> Alberta during the 10 days of the Calgary Stampede and not know that it's going on. So tremendous community support, tremendous community uh, involvement and embracement of the Calgary Stampede. I, I kind of love the scenario of somebody flying in, not knowing, not that they would get past the airport without being suspicious something was going on, but you're downtown at 1030 on a Tuesday morning. You're like, what is going on here? The hooting and the hollering that's happening. Yeah, yeah, that would be a, yeah. that would be an, I don't think you'd make it at the airport without realizing something was going on on the plane. <laughs> 
from when you guys you know promote the event how much you know obviously locally it's just so ingrained and we all know it's coming and there's events and invitations are already starting to fly but when you start thinking about that global marketing vehicle that that you operate is there certain jurisdictions is there areas of the world especially now let's talk post covid where you've targeted more in terms of getting exposure and trying to get that traveler kind of back comfortable and if they're going to make that trip this summer that they choose to come here yeah and and a, a definitely a target is the united states uh bringing people up and and particularly those involved with western lifestyle and rodeo now obviously there are other reasons to come to the calgary stampede outside of the rodeo um and and the evening show chuck wagons and things of that nature but uh that's largely the group that will will come and visit and this year for example in in 2020 uh excuse me in in december of 2021 uh, we did activate at the national finals rodeo in Las Vegas mm. uh, at that time. And uh, uh, through a sponsorship there, we let people know about the 2022 Calgary Stampede. We're planning a full event. Uh, that's probably, if you will, the low-hanging fruit would be the U.S. population, okay. and particularly those involved uh, in Western lifestyle, whether it's uh, you know equine activities or rodeo. Uh, they're the ones who are pro- probably most likely to come and see us. And now that we are a PRCA, Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, uh, sanctioned rodeo, all of our performances will be on the Cowboy Channel in uh, 2022. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so it will really have a North American reach and will reach into the homes of those who would be very likely to come up here and visit us as well. Have you seen, or kind of your perspective, that what you refer to the Western lifestyle? Because I think we all define it in our own way when you hear those terms. I have heard through again being involved in marketing, and I know some of the team over at Lamleys, and they're seeing a rise in you know people looking for that Western style. And maybe we can blame Yellowstone or thank Yellowstone. <laughs> there's there's been some you know pop culture references that I think have really pushed that lifestyle into a lot more. When you when you hear Western lifestyle, I think it means more than it might have meant even ten years ago. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely a rise in the interest in the Western lifestyle. And I think, yes, Yellowstone uh, deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, it's really a show that, uh, in a lot of cases, connects people uh, mm-hmm. to their past, whether it's one generation, two generations, three generations ago. Uh, you know, we most of us can trace back to a time, for me, it's, it's not very far back, uh, that, that we are connected to Western lifestyle, whether that be farming or ranching or something of that nature. And uh, Yellowstone has had a, had a lot to do with that, I think. And that's one of the prime reasons that we targeted Kevin Costner. as. Our, I was going to uh, say, we do have him as our parade marshal <laughs> this year, which is pretty awesome. Parade marshal, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, you're going to attract a whole just just for just for, for that alone. So, talk to me about like anything new that we can expect. I think we all have our things, our favorite things, and we know what we love. And from an event perspective, is it? And I don't want to I don't want to oversimplify it by any stretch, but is it just like let's just get back to normal, whatever that means? I know that I think that's that's a bit of an illusion we've all been running with through through COVID. Oh, I can't wait for the day we can get back to normal. But with an event like Stampede of this size, there's always evolution, and you guys are always thinking about what comes next. Yeah. Can you let us in on any changes or any like I don't want to say improvements because it was already pretty good before. Well, and. I think before, to preface this conversation, uh, keep in mind that we were budgeting in the fall and the budget wasn't approved until December. And so there's still uncertainty, uh, uh, particularly with yeah. the circulation yeah. of Omicron. Are we going to be able to have a full event or not? Uh, and so if you're not going to have a full event, you probably don't want to do a whole bunch of new things. Uh, more so bring back the things that people loved and the things that they missed 
in 2021 for those who actually came to the grounds for the, the reduced event in 2021. Uh, so chuck wagon racing comes back. Uh, after a hiatus. Uh, haven't run the chucks since 2019. There will be three wagons instead of four wagons per race, uh, which oh, should make it safer on the start and, yep. uh, and make it safer for, for those horses and those drivers out on the track as well. And uh, concerts in the Saddle Dome are the other thing that people missed when they came here in 2021. We only have one this year, and that's Blake Shelton on that final weekend, but we're excited about that. Fantastic music lineup in the Big Four Roadhouse, as well as on uh, the Coke Stage in Nashville North. And the, the one thing I can point to that is different this year is the powwow in the Saddle Dome. Uh, the 12th through the 14th. Uh, each afternoon, we will have a competition powwow, and we are getting entries from as far away as New Mexico to come to this. Oh, wow. And so we'll probably have well over 300 competitors competing in, in a number of different dance categories uh, at the powwow. And it's really meant to enhance what we do here on Stampede Park with our 110-year uh, relationship with our teepee holders and Elbow River Camp. Um, so we expect that uh, because it's free with admission, we'll have a lot of people who will head into the Saddle Dome on those three afternoons to uh, take in the powwow. And then hopefully they'll head over That's to great. Elbow River Camp immediately after that and interact with our teepee holders and uh, enjoy some bannock and, uh, and shop at the merchants over there. Uh, because it is a fantastic uh, experience to go over to Elbow River Camp and interact with our First Nations partners. That's great. I love the diversity and I love how inclusive that is. And I love to hear where you're pulling people. When you think about the athletic side of the, the, it's a competition. And when you watch, whether it's in the powwow or if you watch people in the rodeo, these are top level athletes that are performing, that Absolutely. have trained for years to create this level. And I think that's so, in, from this perspective of, well, the powwow, obviously that sounds like a huge boost in terms of numbers, but coming back to the, just the, anything to do with the rodeo, are more people getting into rodeo? Like, is that a sport that's growing? Like, calling it a sport because that's absolutely what it is. Yeah, and I think uh, you can kind of tie that to Yellowstone phenomenon. And, <laughs> okay, right on. Uh, and, yep. and programming where people can find it. I mentioned the Cowboy Channel earlier. That is the official, yep. uh, basically official outlet of the, uh, of the PRCA. But they program a lot of different Western sports on that. And so it, hmm. it provides access uh, to those sports. And a lot of the success of the sport is not just tied to the action and the presentation, but also knowing the athletes. And through the Cowboy totally, Channel absolutely. and the <laughs> efforts of, of all these different rodeos to, to try and you know, let, let the fans come to know the athletes and hopefully follow those athletes year-round, that really enriches and, and deepens the relationship with the fan base. And so uh, we, we certainly try to do that with, with our athletes, uh, let, the, uh, let the fans get to know them, let them get to know the nuances of the sport and the technical details of the sport because uh, it's not as simple as it looks to a first-time observer. Uh, with regard to the technique and the athleticism on, on both the, the side of the animal athlete and the human athlete. Well, yeah, that you've got two, <laughs> the ability to work together. I think it was the last season of Yellowstone. I was a Yellowstone fan. I'm an, I'll just admit it openly. Um, but that last season where they brought in so much more focus on the horses in the arena and the, what they were doing. And it was very clear. And also as a marketer and someone who loves story, I'm like, wow, this is a very deliberate shift. And I can only imagine if you're into that world, there were some very, those weren't actors just jumping on those horses, no, making no. them do those things. Like not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> it is true to life. And so it's, it's doing a lot of that work to deepen the understanding 
of uh, the animal athlete, the human athlete, and uh, how they interact in that regard. And we were so happy to get a shout out on Yellowstone in this last season as well. Now they claim right. that we were too nice, but we'll, we'll wear that badge. <laughs> that's not a problem. You know what? I, the stereotypes are there. That's okay. Yes, that's right. I forgot. I forgot about that reference. Again, not knowing much, I'm so curious. Again, this is my going down the rabbit hole. Being a being an, a, a cowboy, but a, an athlete, a cowboy, cowgirl, universally a, 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 a Western athlete in that in that way. Is this, are they struggling from show to show? Is this a lucrative event? Is there like a few spots at the top, like you either play in the NHL or you're the, or, or you're, or you're not. I'm just curious, like how did that all holds together? Cause it seems like the amount of gear and travel and trucks and animals, like this feels like a very cost intensive, uh, sport to pursue. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And it depends from event to event. Uh, so mm. rough stock events, the, the bronc riders, uh, you know, bareback riders, the, the bull riders, they can largely fly from event to event uh, right. when they get to that point. Whereas if you're a, you know, a, a tie down roper, a barrel racer, you're likely taking your horse with you and you're putting thousands of miles in to go from rodeo to rodeo um, to, to compete. And there's no guarantee that you're going to do well. Um, <laughs> uh, you pay your entry fee and uh, if you don't win, that entry fee is forfeit and you, you go to the next rodeo and you move on. For those truly talented athletes, uh, you know, they do well uh, from the standpoint of earnings. Uh, you can check the PRCA or WPRA standings to see what they earn on an annual basis. But when you get to that level, because of the success of uh, Yellowstone and, and the Western right. lifestyle, there are sponsorship opportunities for them as well uh, that, right. that really help pay their way. And for some of these events, it's a pretty short, uh, it's a pretty short career. Um, you know, yeah. someone who's uh, riding bulls for 10 or more years, uh, they're, they're kind of defying the odds because, or, or bareback <laughs> horses in particular, because it is a very, very physical sport and, uh, and injuries are, are pretty common. I, w I can only imagine you have an intimate relationship with your doctor, your chiropractor, your physiotherapist, <laughs> all of the above, and your bottle of uh, uh, ibuprofen or whatever whatever it is. That, uh, and it, most of these athletes, would they be tied to large ranches? Or like, is there groups that are like, no, we professionally rodeo and that's what we do? Or is there typically like a large operation or a ranch or a farm behind the scenes? Yeah, th there are kind of a, I, I guess, a more grassroots. There are ranch rodeos that are held okay. on more of a local or regional basis. But okay. the athletes that you see in the rodeo, arena uh, here at the Calgary Stampede, that is their vocation. Uh, they okay. travel from rodeo to rodeo. That's how they're making their, their living uh, okay. at this moment. Um, there are circuits throughout North America where athletes can compete on a circuit and qualify for a circuit final, so it's more regional in nature. Um, they probably have a job outside of, of, of rodeo. Uh, but that circuit format allows them to go less distance to compete, but still have mm -hmm. the opportunity to win, win some good uh, some good prize money. But when you get in the uh, in the arena at the Calgary Stampede, you're a pretty talented athlete to receive that invitation to be even at that level. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And what's the balance for you know U.S. competitors versus Canadian? How how much are we as Canadians just being? I know we're a smaller market. Do we contribute to you know if there's 100 competitors? How does the percentage kind of usually flush out? Yeah, I don't have those numbers right offhand, but uh, yeah. if if you sit and watch the rodeo, you'll notice particularly in the uh, the bareback and the saddle bronc riding, there are a lot of really really talented 
Canadian athletes. Uh, okay. Same can be said on, on barrel racing. And then uh, you'll have uh, steer wrestlers, tie-down ropers that are also, you know, at the top of the game with regard to those events as well. But we do, as you can imagine, uh, pull a lot of uh, U.S. competitors up here to the Calgary Stampede, as well as uh, South America. A lot of incredibly talented Brazilian bull riders. Oh, interesting. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, just the global reach and the perspective that you have to get your head wrapped around when you think about this event. So, Joel, I'm curious. You, you've on the job nine, nine and a half months, corrected to be specific, and I like that. <laughs> what was the decision? I'm like just curious. Did they, was this a headhunter opportunity? Did someone know somebody? It sounds like it's probably a pretty interconnected world, but yeah. it's a big move to come up here from time. Like I said, you, you sound like you were very familiar with the event, but talk to us yes. a little bit about the decision to come up here. Well, and, and so I'll go back a little further. I first, first came to Calgary in 1993. Um, I was uh, on staff at Texas A&M in animal science and uh, teaching animal production. And I came up here to serve as an instructor for a beef judging school that was put on by one of the Calgary Stampede Volunteer Committees and mm. uh, met a lot of great people. My wife and I both grew up in Northern Colorado. So coming to Calgary, I always kind of felt like I was coming home. Uh, okay. And when I brought her with me, uh, she agreed. And so I came <laughs> nice. up and did that seven or eight times over about a 15-year period. Oh, okay. And then uh, while I was at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, I would come up nearly every year for the Stampede, and we would host Stampede volunteers and staff at Houston nearly every year. And oh, we would work awesome. together on things. Uh, it's a great <laughs> industry, the fair and festival industry, because you're not competing for the same consumer. And so it's very open and sharing. And so there's some mm, great like relationships that. that are formed uh, between these events, even across uh, international borders. So I knew the event. I knew a lot of the staff. I knew a lot of the volunteers uh, that were working here. And when I heard of the opportunity, I was very saddened to hear of uh, Warren Connell, the prior CEO's passing. But uh, I told my wife, I need to go for this because uh, Stampede is, is one of those truly iconic events that uh, is interwoven within community and tremendously supported by the community. And frankly, a lot of exciting things happening here with Stampede Park and the, the master plan uh, that those who came yeah. before me put, put up, that put forth, that includes the BMO Center and, uh, and further development in the park, and not just within the park, but here within the Rivers District in creating a culture and entertainment uh, district. So those were things that very much excited me, and I'm, I'm thrilled to have this position. Oh, that's fantastic. I appreciate the, the coming home reference and that you were no stranger to Calgary. And I agree with what's happening on the east side of town and that, that kind of entertainment corridor. When you, you know, I've had a few people on from Vic Park. I've had a few people on from the city talking about like, you know, this was a, this was a dream that, that people really didn't believe at all. Not that, not that many years ago. Yeah. And now you go yeah. for a, a mountain bike ride or a walk down through there through the library and platform and weave your way through. It's amazing what's going on down there that used to be a part of town that really nobody wanted to have anything to do with. And that wasn't that. Yeah. that, wasn't that and and I will tell you, our, our future success really hinges upon how well Stampede Park integrates into that Rivers District mm. Master Plan and how well we activate these grounds. We know how to do it for 10 days of the year and, and do it really well. <laughs> and we'll yep. continue to do that and we'll make it better and better. But uh, really, our, our, our true success hinges upon integrating with that culture and entertainment district. And so we look forward to that. I appreciate it. We're really good at the 10 days, but let's, <laughs> let's look a little bit beyond 
So Joel, as a, as a new leader, just putting on whether it happens to be the Sampi, but you've come into an organization that is not looking to be flipped on its head. It's not looking to be disrupted and blown up. Lots of times a new, new leader is brought in because we need some serious change. You came into an organization that I imagine there is a lot of uh, very sacred, this is the way we do this. How has it been for you just as a leader? And maybe, you know, uh, and I know there's a very politically right answer to have here for sure, but I'm really curious when you came in, what were kind of your top three? Like, I got to get my head around this. I really want to focus over here and maybe here's an area that I can add some more value or I can improve on. Yeah. And so I, I tell people when they ask me how it's going over the last nine and a half months, I, <laughs> I share with them that, um, you know, it's similar enough to what I did before at Houston yeah. that I'm not overwhelmed, but it's different enough where it's, it's challenging because, okay. uh, there's a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. Um, and, and going through a stampede, even though I was here in 2021 for all 10 days, uh, just to kind of witness and observe. But going through a stampede directly with the staff and the volunteers will, will definitely further my education. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when you come into an event like this, there are similarities between these events. And that's why I mentioned that, uh, you know, the industry is very open and sharing because you can go to any event of any size and find something uh, that you may want to implement and, right. uh, and make your event bigger. Oftentimes it needs to be scaled differently. Um, but I, I don't come into this uh, thinking, well, I'm going to make the Calgary Stampede like the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo because you can't make the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo be the Calgary Stampede. Right. But there are certain elements uh, to each of these organizations that can be incorporated. And a lot of what we did when I was in Houston coming to Calgary and Calgary when they'd come to Houston, look for ideas that can be incorporated. But truly, <laughs> the first and foremost thing was to stabilize the organization. I mentioned the of millions of dollars of loss over the last couple of years. We're still operating at just a little over 60% of our pre-pandemic first uh, full-time workforce. And so we're still in a stabilization mode uh, looking forward. So once we're financially stable, you know, we'll start looking at things. And uh, I'm not the only one who has great ideas. There's a tremendously talented staff and, <laughs> yeah. and volunteer leadership here. Uh, they have ideas that they'd like to implement. But some of these will have to wait until we, we feel like we're financially stable uh, before we can implement those. That makes sense. Just as a reference point, do you know off the top of hand, when, when was the high water mark? And I'm assuming it's, is it like, you know, bodies through the gates? Is it turnstile revenue? Like what, what was the, cause Calgary's had a rough few years aside and then, yes. and then we had the pandemic on top yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. So of course that hundredth anniversary in 2012 from a, an attendance standpoint was, yeah, that was a fantastic. And then of course, 2013 was the flood. And I, I watched from afar and was just amazed at the way that the organization, the community pulled together to put on a stampede <laughs> in, uh, in 2013. Um, and you can measure success a number of ways. Uh, you know, I, I like to think of it in terms of impact, but you can measure impact different ways as well. Yes, um, you can. You know, whether it's economic impact, and a 2019 study indicated that uh, the Calgary Stampede, as a result of year-round activities, uh, generates about $540 million of impact to Alberta. And about $280 million of that is driven by the 10 days alone which is incredible. Oh, wow. But, yeah, that is incredible. You know, <laughs> beyond those metrics, uh, community impact, uh, educational impact, youth impact. And so there's not really a simple measure, I don't think, uh, of success mm -hmm. because there are so many things uh, that are both quantitative, but so many that are, are qualitative as well yeah. that uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to measure all of those. But... <laughs> 
one one of my uh, mentors once told me, uh, "No margin, no mission." So <laughs> you have to be you have to be mindful, of course, yes. of the financial performance because if you don't have that, if you're not generating that margin, it's really difficult to fulfill your mission of being a you know world class year round gathering place for the community, uh, promote Western heritage, and, and celebrate agriculture as well. So we have to be mindful of how many people are coming yep. here and how well the organization is doing financially so that we can fulfill that mission. I really no margin, no mission, and I like that <laughs> a lot. But I do appreciate how difficult it is and just the how many qualitative and quantitative because it's such an integral part of the community because it's so much more than, oh, this is an event that's for 10 days and it kicks out this many dollars. It's so much more than that when you talk yeah. about the integration and the inclusivity of different communities from people coming from all over the world to experience kind of Western lifestyle to our including inclusion at an indigenous level. Those are those are very qualitative, but also very real. Absolutely. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can quantify the qualitative versions very like to a, to a, to a high de- to a high degree. So if I was going to pin you down, are we, how many, like, I'm sure you've got some forecast. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm coming back to the quantitative. How many, how many bodies through the gates are we thinking about this year? Like what would be a good year or what would we be a respectful? Like, okay, we're back. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, the budgets, uh, I'll share with you. It, it factors yep. a million people through the gates. Um, okay. I've always versus, heard that million number. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Versus the 530,000 or so that came through in 2021. And so anything beyond that, we'd just be tickled to death, uh, to welcome <laughs> people back here on park. Um, but in budgeting in the fall, and uh, looking at it, you know, through the advent of Omicron, there was still a lot of uncertainty. And right. it looks like uh, we're going to hopefully receive a, a favorable forecast with regard to, uh, to to COVID. But certainly watching that and working with health officials in that regard. And so if we receive a favorable forecast from the weather standpoint, uh, we think we're going to have a really good event, which is important uh, for this organization uh, to kind of build back and recover from two really, really tough years. There's no question the word on the street for whatever that's worth is, oh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great stampede this year. We're excited. And the amount of people I know that are hosting events and the amount of people I know that are like, oh, I've already got, I'm double invited on this day and that day to go to this thing, which is great. The buzz around that and the excitement of, I think everyone is pretty excited to put COVID behind us. Not, not that we always have to say in that, but there's a certainly, there's a willingness right now to move, to move forward and not even look in that review mirror at all. <laughs> Which I think I think we're all excited to to close that chapter, hopefully for now, and and, and move forward. Uh, Joel, so great to have you on the show, and I really appreciate just your honesty. And you know, in, in nine and a half months, you've learned your numbers pretty good, and you <laughs> definitely have done your homework, which I'm not surprised, and I really, really appreciate. But thanks for thanks for coming on. Any closing words or any kind of you know just you'd want to share with anybody who you're? I'm sure you're meeting people like all day every every day. But for anyone who's kind of meeting you for the first time on the show, anything you want to share? Well, just that uh, this is an incredible organization. And uh, yes, I had seen it from the outside and I had some close personal relations that uh, both were in uh, in staff positions as well as volunteer leadership positions. But uh, Calgarians should be proud of this organization. Uh, and I say that uh, not just because I'm the CEO here, but because I, I come in and look at it with fresh eyes. You have some incredibly talented volunteers who give freely of their time and their talent to support the organization. You have volunteer leadership and staff that truly do care about the community and uh, want to put forth a, a product that everyone can be proud of, but also uh, have that qualitative impact and uh, give Calgarians an opportunity to come together and celebrate. 
uh, as a community each and every year, but at the same time, invite the world to come and join us as well and see what a fantastic community this is uh, and, uh, and celebrate that sense of community while, uh, while promoting Western heritage and agriculture. Very well said. Joel, thanks for coming on the show. I look forward to bumping into you at Stampede this year. I'll be there many days. And let's, uh, let's, let's wish the, the, to the weather gods for some, some good weather and some, uh, some restriction-free travel. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tyler. I appreciate it. Thanks, Joel.